going to do between now and then is a little different. Um, we are doing three standalone Sundays. Uh, so we've got a, a little kind of a break from the big, we've done big, long series this year. Uh, and we're, we're kind of changing up the pace, changing up the tempo. Uh, so today, I want to talk to you uh, out of the book of John, chapter 11. We're going to talk about going from death to life. Uh, how the grave was defeated. I want to give you a gospel message. Uh, this may feel a little Eastery in November, uh, but the reality is the, the cross and the defeated grave is important all year long. Uh, it is central to our faith, central to our identity as believers. I want to share with you um, actually a segment of scripture that I preach probably more than just about anything else, but you guys hardly ever hear it, because um, this is something I teach from every time I do a funeral. Uh, I always go to John chapter 11, uh, to the story of Lazarus's funeral. And so I rarely bring it up in here, but it is a section of scripture I'm pretty familiar with, some, one that I, I love teaching on and getting into, because I think it is so central to our understanding of the gospel. So if you're with me, turn to John chapter 11. Uh, we were in the book of John last week talking about how the harvest is ready. Uh, Zach had no clue and no idea and came and shared exactly that, which I think is awesome how God does that. Uh, so we're going to skip forward a few chapters in the book of John today. Uh, what we're going to see is a scene very shortly before Jesus goes to the cross. In fact, Bible scholars often believe that this is about one week before Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, and it's a very famous scene, uh, this death of a man named Lazarus, this friend of Jesus. We'll start in verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we know Mary Magdalene, this lady who's very central in the story, who, who has this radical transformation, who goes from death to life, goes from, from a life of shame, uh, a life uh, of embarrassment, just like, what did we see? The, the woman at the well goes from shame to joy. Mary had gone through this very similar transition. This family's very dear to Jesus. Uh, verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love that word, uh, the one you love. There was an intimacy here. There was a closeness here. Now, the reality is anyone is the one that Jesus loves, but they knew that there was a special bond between Jesus and Lazarus, that he had a special place in Jesus' heart. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says the sickness will not end in death. Death was only a piece of the story was not the end of the story. Aren't you grateful, people of God, that death is not the end of our story? Reality is most of us are going to die. Reality is unless we happen to be the generation that Jesus comes back for, most of us in this room will have a funeral. Most of us in this room will have someone preach our funeral. Most of us will have what seems like an end, but it is not the end of our story. It's only part of the story. So this sickness will not end in death. Praise God, the sickness does end. It just doesn't end with death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I love this statement. So often in life we go through things and we don't know why. 
fact, I would say the majority of things we face in life, we oftentimes do not know why. I think a lot of times we get caught up pursuing the why far too often, and we get caught up in the why, and, and it bogs us down because, like, man, why am I going through this? What is going on? Why do I have to deal with this? When really I think the answer most of the time is not why, but what. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you need me to go? But in this instance, Jesus goes ahead and gives the why. He said, hey, this happened for a reason, and I'll tell you the reason. I believe we're going to know the reason for all the stuff we went through on the other side. A lot of times we won't know the reason on this side, but he gives the reason here. He says, this is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I don't know about you, but if God's going to get the glory, I'll take the sickness. Man, if Jesus is going to be glorified through it, I will gladly go through it. I'm grateful that Lazarus has this testimony. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. You see, Jesus and the disciples are in Galilee. They're in the northern part of Israel. Israel at this time kind of is split into three, three regions. There's the northern region of Galilee. There's the middle region of Samaria, which we saw last week. Uh, and then there's the southern region of Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem is. Uh, it's where the, the, the Pharisees are, those who hate Jesus and are against him. Look at verse 8. But Rabbi, the disciples said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Last time we were in Judea, it didn't go real good, Jesus. Last time, if you, if you forgot, uh, they don't like you in Judea, Jesus. Uh, they don't like us either is the implication here, right? Like, let's, let's stay here where it's safe. Let's stay here where it's easy. I'm grateful for people like Zach and Caitlin who don't stay where it's safe, who don't stay where it's easy because something might happen over there, but they love Jesus enough to take Jesus where it's not so safe. Disciples say, yo, Jesus, we can, we can hang out here for a long time. Nobody cares about Galilee. We're forgotten. We're overlooked. It's easy here. You can see some similarities between Galilee and Mississippi, right? But Jesus had a different plan. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. We're going to skip down to verse 17. Jesus says we're going to, to, to the dangerous place. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is not an easy journey. They didn't hop on the interstate and take a couple hours to go from Galilee to Judea. It took them days. So many days that by the time they got there, Lazarus has already been buried for four days. The four is significant. Many of you may know. Uh, because the Jews had a belief that the spirit would hover around the dead body for about three days. But after the third day, the spirit departed, and that was it. Uh, and so Jesus intentionally let Lazarus lay in the grave for four days because he wanted to make no doubt. He wanted to make a very clear statement about his authority, about his power. He didn't want anybody saying, oh, yeah, well, the spirit just decided to hop back in the body. Now, I don't know how many times they had seen the Spirit hop back in on day two uh, or where this idea came from, but Jesus made it very clear that that's not what's going on here. Verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss 
of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever had a conversation with God? God, if you would have showed up, I wouldn't be hurt. God, if you had moved in this situation, if you had just been there for grandpa, if you would have just touched mom, if you would have just shown up in my marriage, I wouldn't have to go through this. God, where were you? God, I prayed. God, I asked you. I invited you. And you didn't show up and I lost my job. God, what is going on? So often we may feel that God was silent or God ignored our cries, but I promise he has a plan in your pain. He's not causing pain in your life. He has a plan to move in the midst of whatever your pain is. And you can hear Martha's pain here. If only you had been here in the midst of her pain, there's faith. She understands Jesus has authority. She understands Jesus could change things, but she's upset that he didn't. Look at verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's a statement, right? What a promise. Jesus himself, the Savior himself, looks at this girl in her mourning over the loss of her brother. And he says, I got good news for you, girl. Your brother will rise again. And watch Martha's response. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's like, Jesus, I'm not going to let you trick me. I'm going to let you get my hopes up. I know the end of the story, yes, we're all going to be okay, and yes, he's going to be raised, and I understand that, but I'm still mad right now, okay? Yes, I'll see grandma again, but I miss grandma today, right? We understand these feelings. I always come to the, the funeral, and I tell people if their loved one knew Jesus, there's hope. That you get to see them again. There's hope that you get to stand before them. And I always reassure them of that, but I wonder how many times they respond like Martha, like, I'm not worried about that right now. Right now, it hurts. Right now, it stings. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says these seven words with so much truth packed into them. In these seven short words, Jesus makes three clear declarations of himself, three claims in seven words. What is Jesus claiming here? In the book of John, chapter 11, verse 25, first of all, Jesus is claiming, I am. He's claiming that he is God. Yahweh, you can hear him say it in the Hebrew to Martha, I am. I have authority here. I'm the one who sits on the throne. I am God. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, I am 
I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. Over and over, Jesus declares, I am. He makes these Yahweh statements about himself, clearly connecting himself to the God of Abraham in the Old Testament, his father. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. First of all, Jesus declares that he's God. But he doesn't stop there. Secondly, he declares, I am the resurrection. He declares that Jesus is the overcomer of death. That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Most of us in this room have lost somebody that matters to us. Somebody we cared about. Someone who we would like to see again. This year started for me with the loss of my mom. Jesus is the resurrection. And my mom, though she was broken in many ways, she believed on Jesus, the resurrection. And she's well today. She's healed today. She's with Jesus today. I hope and I pray that your loved ones who have gone before you trusted in the resurrection. Trusted in the one who overcomes death Jesus is speaking into Lazarus' situation, but he's also prophesying what he's about to do in a week. I'm the God of resurrection. I'm the God who overrules death, overthrows the grave. I'm the God that even death cannot hold down. That's who I am. That's a big statement. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say he's God. He just doesn't, doesn't just say he's the God who overcomes the grave. He says, I am the life. He's the resurrection and the life. This is a separate claim from being the resurrection. He isn't just the one who brings things from death into life. He's the one who rules over life itself. He says, I'm the sustainer of life. Whether you cease to breathe on this earth or not, I'm the one who keeps you alive. Colossians says he's the one that holds it all together. He's the one that causes the neutrons and the protons and the electrons to bond together in the atom. He's the one that causes the cells to form and multiply. He's the one who speaks and the galaxies form in the vapor of his breath. He's the sustainer of it all. And if you're breathing today, praise God, it's because Jesus is the life. He has a life for you. In fact, just one chapter before this, as he declares that he's the good shepherd, he says, there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. And not just have life, not just breathe, but have it abundantly. Have it full. God has a full life for you, a fulfilling life for you, a joyful life for you. Not a, don't, don't misunderstand me. Not a painless life. Not a suffering-free life on this earth. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. But even in the midst of that, God has a life for you that has purpose, that has meaning, that has peace, that has joy, that has impact. That's the plan Jesus has for you. He is the resurrection and the life. If you're not walking in fullness of life today, it just means you haven't tapped into everything Jesus has for you yet. The reality is none of us have. 
All of us are missing out on pieces of what Jesus has prepared for us. But if things are not walking in joy, I'm not just saying happiness. Joy is transcendent of circumstances. Joy doesn't depend on everything going well around me. It's a feeling and understanding that God has given me something to be joyful about. In fact, the word says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. Even in the midst of the loss. Even in the midst of the pain. Even in the midst of the suffering that may seem to bog everyone else down. There is a deep, fulfilling joy available for the followers of Jesus. Back to verse 25. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her this important question. Do you believe it? You see, it's one thing for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. It's one thing for anyone who believes in Jesus to live even though they die. What an amazing promise. What an incredible truth. But the reality is it only matters if you believe it. It only impacts you when you receive it. It only comes into play when you choose to grab hold of this truth for Yourself, and he asked Martha this pointed question at the funeral of her brother. In this low moment, he says, do you believe that I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. Can we just all say yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We lifted our hands and surrender. What is that? Yes, Lord. Whatever you want from me. God, I don't, really want to, I don't always see what you're up to. I don't always understand what's going on around me. But yes, Lord, I believe you are for me and not against me. I believe you have a plan. I believe you are the resurrection and the life. She says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. She knows who Jesus is. Do you? Martha gets it. Martha understands in her pain, in her suffering, in her low moment, in her moment of lashing out at Jesus, she still knows who he is. She still understands his place. She still declares the truth. Do we understand this? Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and she called Sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. I need you to know today, Jesus is asking Jesus is at the door, and he's knocking, and he's calling your name in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your suffering. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the resurrection, and the life is asking for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. See, so often we can believe it for somebody else, but we distance ourselves from it because we've been hurt. Because we know our failures. He couldn't really love me. He couldn't really care for me. This is the former prostitute. This is the one who, who had sold herself and demeaned herself. And Jesus shows up and he's asking for her. By the way, this girl a week later is going to be the first person to lay eyes on the risen Jesus. She's going to be the first one to be an eyewitness to the resurrection and the life. She's going to be the first one to testify that he truly is who he said he is. 
She didn't know it yet. But that's what's going to happen seven days later. So Jesus calls for Mary. Verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. When Jesus calls for you, do you get up quickly? When Jesus says, I'm here for you, I got something for you, I got a word for you, I need to see you, do you respond with an urgency? She gets up quickly and goes to him, verse 30, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She speaks out what she feels in her heart. I love that we can be honest with God about our feelings. You don't have to fake the funk with Jesus. You don't got to put on a religious display and act like you've always walked in purity of faith. In a moment of doubt, in a moment of pain, you can just speak out the reality of where you're at. The book of Psalms teaches us this over and over again. There's 150 Psalms. 75% of them are laments. They're complaints. They're, God, you promised this, but I'm walking in this. God, God, I walked in righteousness, and he walked in unrighteousness, but he prospered. God, why does it not seem like, like I'm reaping what I've sown yet? What is the problem here? Are there complaints? We can be honest and authentic with God. God is not afraid of your feelings. He made you with emotions. Now, he doesn't want you to walk in your emotions. And that's why we got to get them out and give them to him. Because if we don't give them to him, we're going to let him determine our path. We're going to let them determine our decisions, and that's where we mess up. But you can bring them to Jesus. Mary, seven days before, she is chosen and blessed to be the first eyewitness to the greatest miracle in the history of the world is mad at Jesus. I hope that encourages somebody. Didn't disqualify her from her place, didn't ruin her opportunity to be used. She speaks out of her pain. If you would have just been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Everybody say deeply moved. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, very simple declaration, Jesus wept. There's this meme that's been going around lately that I think is so true. It's this statement, you know, that, hey, real men don't cry. And then it says, Jesus wept. And I'm grateful for that truth because I would not be much of a man. Uh, I, would, I would be pretty low on the list of manliness because I've been known to shed a tear or two. I know I haven't today, but on occasion it's happened. Jesus gave me my man card back. Hallelujah. Okay. The greatest man who ever lived. He wept. Now we know he didn't weep over Lazarus. He knew that Lazarus was, was in heaven exchanging stories in this moment with the saints. He knew that Lazarus was coming back and was going to have the greatest testimony, like the greatest party trick. Everybody has a story. Well, I got to do this and I got to do that. And Lazarus was like, yo, I was dead. Like, you can't top it. Lazarus wins. Like, he's got the best story at every engagement he ever goes to after this. He didn't weep for Lazarus. He wept for Mary. 
the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your doubt, Jesus is deeply moved for you. He cares. See, I serve a God who doesn't just have power to change your situation. I serve a God who has desire to change your situation. It's the two reasons we worship him. We worship him for his greatness. That's the authority. That's the ruling. That's the one who sits on the throne. That's the one who can do all things in our life. But we also worship him for his goodness. You see, in the Old Testament, they had some gods who were great. They weren't as great as Jesus, but they weren't good gods. They were evil gods. They were unreliable gods. They were gods who came down and did ungodly things. They were not good. And what set apart the Hebrew God was he was greater than any other gods. But unlike all the other gods, he was actually good. I serve a God who is good. I serve a God who cares, who weeps at the suffering of those around him. I think Jesus looks at what's going on in Israel and in Palestine right now. He weeps. People created in his image who are suffering unfathomable pain, awful destruction. I think it breaks the heart of our God. When we do such atrocities to one another, Jesus weeps for Martha and for Mary. Verse 36, and the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus' emotion authenticated his heart for Lazarus to those around him. 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So the doubt spreads. Why? Why didn't you do this, Jesus? 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. Not once, but twice. Jesus is deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, the one who just made the confession that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one. I believe that you are the one who was to come into the world. Well, her faith was strong a few moments ago, but it's not so strong now. She says, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. I love the practical declarations in scripture. Like these were real people with real concerns. Yo, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, you ever been around a dead body? Jesus, I know. I know you're God, and everybody up there is living, but down here we have people who die. And so I got to let you know when people die, stuff happens. Okay, uh, the body begins to rot. There, there becomes a problem when people die. Uh, I love just the sincerity of this. 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus said in a loud voice. Jesus didn't have to say it loud. Jesus could have whispered it. Jesus could have did something with his hands. Like, Jesus could have done this any way he wanted to, right? Jesus chooses to say in a loud voice. Why? Because I think he was demonstrating his authority. He says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, right? The KJV, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. He speaks to the dead dude. To a lifeless, motionless, 
body who's been dead for four days, who's supposed to stinketh, as the King James says it. He didn't just stink, he stinketh. And the dead man came out. Said he wasn't a dead man no more. His hands and feet still wrapped with strips of clut linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Verse 35, 45, excuse me. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Jesus says, I am. I'm God. He says, I am the resurrection. I'm the one who overcomes death. He says, I am the life. I'm the one who sustains life. And then he says, what do you believe? These things are true. They're the truth of eternity. They're the truth of all creation. But what do you believe? The question that all of us must wrestle with, and I know most of us in this room, we dealt with this question a long time ago. We crossed that line of faith. But perhaps there's somebody here today who hasn't yet made that decision. Perhaps there's somebody here today who hasn't yet chosen to say, yes, I believe. Not only are you, I am. Not only are you God. Not only are you the resurrection, the one who overcomes death. Not only are you the resurrection and the life, the one who sustains life. But you are the God that I choose for me. See, that's when the power comes in. You see, Lazarus had already believed in Jesus. He had already given his hope to the Messiah. He had already placed his trust in the only one who could truly save him. And so Jesus called him from death into life. Now, notice this is actually just temporary. Lazarus is going to die again. Lazarus died twice. But he still didn't stay dead. It's that same resurrection that came for Lazarus the first time comes for Lazarus again to take him into eternity. When I do a funeral, I often share this story. The question often comes up, what is it like to die? Years ago, a wise mother illustrated it best for us. Her son had come down with a chronic disease. First it took him from being able to go to school, then he couldn't go outside and play anymore. Finally, his death got closer and closer, he got to the point where he couldn't leave his bedroom. Finally, one day, just a few days before death, the question came that she had prepared herself for, but she still wasn't ready. Mama, what's it like to die? This poor mom who loved her son so deeply ran out of the room to the bathroom and she cried, she wept, and she prayed. God, give me strength. God, give me the words. So she pulls herself together, and she goes back into the room with her son. She says, son, do you remember when you were younger and we would go on long road trips? And on the way home, you would always fall asleep in the car. But when you woke up, you weren't in the car anymore. You were in your bed. You know why that happened? Because when you fell asleep, the strong arms of your father came, and they picked you up, and they carried you from where you were to where you needed to be. That is what it's like to die. You see, Lazarus died a second time. And when Lazarus died the second time, the strongest arms in all of eternity came 
They picked him up, and they carried him from where he was to where he needed to be. And if you believe on the resurrection and the life, those same arms will carry you from death into life. Those same arms will bring you the resurrection that brought Lazarus the resurrection. And untold millions of saints before you who have crossed the line from death into life. Because Jesus is I am. He is the resurrection. And he is the life. If you've never believed on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. We're going to lead you in a prayer. Prayer is a declaration of what God's already doing in your heart. If there's something in you that says, yes, I need him. Yes, I believe. Yes, I trust that he is the resurrection and the life. Yes, I can trust him with my eternity, with my life here on earth as well. If you're ready for that, the Bible tells us how to do it in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Two very simple things. First of all, you got to believe. You may not be able to prove it. You may not be able to point at all the places on a map that it happened. But inside, you know this happened. Jesus died for me. Jesus is the resurrection. And he is the life. And I can trust him. And once you believe that, now you got to speak it. And you speak it out in one very important way. You confess Jesus as Lord. Not just Savior, not just God, but Lord means he's king. Lord means he's in charge. Lord means he's worth following, and you choose to follow him. And if you do those two things, then the same Jesus who spoke into Lazarus's grave will speak into yours. And we'll see you into eternity, but not only is he the resurrection, he's the life. He's the one who has abundance for you here on earth. He's the one who has fulfillment for you here, who has peace for you here, who has purpose for you here. He's not just the God of resurrection. He's the God of life. And if you'll choose him as Lord, he will do that for you just as he did for Lazarus. And praise God just as he's done for me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?